Yeah, which is crazy because yeah, because you move here and you go, I'm in it now, and all of a sudden you go, I, I've never felt more isolated. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hello, my name is Daniel. I am a writer, actor, fun-loving guy. I am from Dallas, Texas. I've been living in L.A. for almost four years now. I can't even believe it. Uh, Hollywood Hustle is the story of those people who have not made it to fame. So many podcasts out there. They talk to people who are already making it, who are making tons of movies, who have reached a level of fame that most people in L.A. have not. And a lot of times when they talk about their past struggles, it's in a funny, oh, I lived in a van, ha, ha, ha kind of way. And I really wanted to bring that struggle out when it's happening. So it's not this joke, but it's this real thing that's happening. So people outside of L.A. and outside of California can, A, understand what actors and writers and anybody in, that's an artist goes through, but also they can understand that if they want to do this too, it's a realism of what's happening here in Los Angeles and what it takes to make it in this town. And another side of this podcast is to give you, if you are thinking about moving to Los Angeles, tips and a guide from moving here. Now, I'm not alone in this podcast. There's a someone here with me, the producer of Hollywood Hustle, my good friend, Michael Lutheran. Hello, Michael. Hey, Daniel, and hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. This is episode one. Episode one of Hollywood Hustle. <laughs> exactly. You're uh, hearing my voice for the first time. Yep. Um, but to give uh, you, the listeners, a little background about myself, I am an actor. Uh, I'm from Northern California, a small town called Vacaville. And uh, I came down here in February of 2012. And as of this recording, that means I've been here for just over five years. Uh, sometimes you, you say that and you, you think, oh, I would have been so far along. I would have been you know, accepting my Oscar right now, but that's not how it happens. And, you know, there are those certain few who come to this town and within a month are able to achieve a certain amount of success, get their SAG card upon moving down here. Uh, that, that's not the case for me. Um, so I'm very excited to have you um, join us and follow our individual paths as we, as we find them, as we lay them out for ourselves. Uh, it's not an easy path, but we're here to help you and to be a guide and for you to also help us out. And, you know, together, I think we're going to really find a new path uh, to help us out here in L.A. I think you uh, hit it really well, Michael, when you said, you know, you think five years you'd have like an Oscar nomination now, your SAG card and all this stuff. And I think that's another reason why this podcast is needed is because I want people to understand it takes longer than a, a year two years, three years, 10 years, sometimes to make it and, and reach some level of success that you feel you can say, I made it. Uh, Of course. And I think one of the biggest things as well is just understanding what success is. We come down here with an idea of, oh, it means Hollywood flashing lights and uh, red carpet and, or, you know, for some people it's dancing on the biggest stages, but Success could also just be booking a commercial that helps pay the rent for a few months or something like that. And you quickly learn to adjust your idea of success, not demeaning 
what success is, but coming to terms with it and learning how it affects your journey and knowing that it is a journey. You're not going to come down here and all of a sudden have that, uh, you know, trophy, have that immediate success that you thought you were going to have. It's going to be a journey of growth. It's going to be a journey of hardships and it's, it's going to wear on you a little bit. And so what I hope to do with this podcast is get everyone who's not in this town prepared to give them a sense of the idea of the hard work that it takes, but also for those who do live in Los Angeles to empower them to say, hey, you're not alone in this struggle, that there are many artists uh, in all forms um, that are experiencing the same thing as you are. One thing you'll discover um, listening to the show and the interviews that we have on here is how people who have moved here from other places or even not that far away, just maybe two hours, three hours, six hours away, have grown in this city and how the city has changed them. And sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's for the worst. Uh, Most of the people we've had, it's for the better, for sure. But that's one thing for those out there who are thinking about moving here is to understand that LA is also a living, breathing entity that affects your life in a lot of different meaningful ways. And it'll touch your artistic spirit, it'll touch your your personality, it'll touch uh, uh, your life in a way that you will not expect. And, and you're going to grow a lot here uh, because when I say you have to survive LA, I mean it. When, you know, when I moved here, someone told me, if you make it three years, throw a party because that's a huge deal in LA is staying here for over three years because most people leave within their first or second year. Um, so know that coming here is a struggle, but we're here to help make it hopefully a little easier. Exactly. And also just shed some life on the daily life of, of living in Los Angeles as an artist. Uh, I came to this town not thinking that I would meet the girl that I love. And, you know, that's what, that's what happened. It's not a part of my path that I could ever have anticipated. But, my goodness, I'm glad that I that happened. You know, so there's going to be outside moments that you can never anticipate. And it'll just happen. You'll be in an audition room. And the guy that you get chosen to do some improv with will, you know, happen to one day become your best friend and you host a podcast with him. Things that you can never anticipate to happen. He's talking about me. Just throwing it out there. (laughs) Now, just to let you know, because this is our first week, uh, we want to give you the most content possible that we can uh, so that you, the listener, can get an idea of what we are hoping to accomplish Uh, So we are going to be dropping six episodes starting Tuesday through Thursday. Uh, Now you're saying those are just three days. How are you dropping uh, six episodes? What we're going to do is on a normal release schedule, our episodes will consist of two parts in one interview. There will be Act 1 and Act 2. Uh, so this week we have our, our interview is Kurt Mega. You'll have Kurt Mega Part 1 and Kurt Mega Part 2 on a regular release schedule. It would be Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday. But this but, isn't a regular week. No, this is a special week. This is the first week. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to have one episode, a, uh, two episodes a day for the next three 
days. Exactly. So today, June 6th, you'll be getting both Acts 1 and 2 of Daniel's amazing interview with Kurt Mega, as you were just mentioning. Uh, he's best known for his run as Nick the Warbler on Fox's Glee, his hit web, uh, web series, Buffering, and he's also the host of podcast Story Matters with Kurt Mega. He's also been seen guest starring on multiple television shows and web series. Kurt's interview in Act 1 will also show you just how much one can accomplish when you just accept the mantra of just say yes to opportunities. And then in Act 2, Kurt will talk about how sometimes you have to treat this career like a bad boyfriend. Now, as you can see, Act 1 will feature a one-on-one -on -one interview between myself and the guest. Act 2, Michael will join in, and we will see more of a roundtable discussion, uh, which is where we talk about L.A. being a bad boyfriend, <laughs> which it very much is. Now, tomorrow, Wednesday, June 7th, we'll feature our very first hosts-only episode. Ooh, what's that, Daniel? Well, let me tell you. Once a month, we will feature what we will call a Team Hustle episode with just myself and Michael. These episodes will usually revolve around a specific uh, theme or topic. Uh, that will give you a chance to follow our individual uh, artistic paths and our journeys. And it will also show a little bit about how we feel towards L.A., towards the industry. Uh, you know, we'll really be talking about just a lot of different topics. Then, now these are, will also be split into two different parts. We'll have an Act 1 and Act 2. Act 2 of Team Hustle will usually consist of some sort of kind of game, giving you a chance to learn about us and laugh about laugh at us at the same time. Because we definitely want you to laugh at us. And then finally, on this Thursday, June 8th, we'll be dropping our two-part interview with co-owner and managing producing director of the Bootleg Theater in downtown LA, Jessica Hanna. She's going to share with you her journey into the world of theater from Chicago to Los Angeles and how being present in the struggle is key to acting. Now, one thing to note is that we could not have done this on our own. Uh, when I came up with this idea, I shared it with Michael. We started brainstorming a lot of different things about it. But one thing was clear, like, we did not have the equipment, uh, the website, the, the money to do this. Uh, so we put up a small Kickstarter goal of $500 um, for 30 days, uh, thinking maybe we would reach a little over that at the end of the, the, the 30 days. But we ended up reaching our goal of $500 the first day we launched the Kickstarter, which was incredible. It, it was amazing to see the amount of support that really just flooded in and, you know, just warmed my heart so much. I, I, I'm sure Daniel can attest uh, with him, but every time I kept checking my phone, part of me would just kind of let out a little moments you know just because of i i wasn't expecting it to be such a great response no absolutely it was it was so exciting every time someone gave was just another moment of literally pure joy and and we couldn't thank them enough and so we wanted to actually go through and thank them by name throughout this episode it won't be all at once we're going to do some now some later in the episode but we just want to really let them know how much we appreciate them giving their money and their support and their kind words to us. Uh, you know, one, it really helped me know that we're on the right path, that this was a topic that people were interested in and that people wanted. Because I don't think people would give $140 to someone because it's an idea that they think is going to stink and they're not going to listen to so that really meant a lot to me, and I know it meant a lot to Michael. Oh, well, well. absolutely. It just showed that people want to hear the stories of artists, that people are not only interested in uh, seeing them on TV, 
TV or just seeing them on the stage, but they also want to know what's going on backstage, behind the scenes. And it's so easy as an artist to feel alone in this town. But for these wonderful people to just go in and show us with their hard-earned money that, no, they want to hear it and they're willing to support that podcast really means a lot. Absolutely. So we're just going to do a real quick personal thank you to some of those people right now. Uh, I know uh, a lot of them are listening. So just from me, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so first, Becky Clark, Eric Carroll, Mike Tobias, Frank Marina, Katra Parkman, Josh Autor, Edge Brockman, Edgar Brockman, uh, James Gordon, Jeff Smith, Kurt Mega, Matt Z- Matt Zimmer, Trevor Algott, and Courtney Bell and Ryan Court. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting us and and helping us make this thing a reality. This has been one of, right now. We we've had we've interviewed several people already before this first episode is going up, and it has been so inspiring and so educational and just so awesome to hear these stories and talk to people about their journeys. It's it's been, it's been very inspirational, and for you, uh, for you who donated to our Kickstarter. You are an inspiration and we love you and we really hope to make you proud. So now please sit back, relax, unless you're driving, make sure you're paying attention where you're going. Uh, Please enjoy our first ever uh, uh, Hollywood Hustle podcast, act one of our Kurt Mega interview. Take it away, Daniel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, if you didn't hear it, <laughs> sorry. We're here I ruined with, that. I ruined it. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're here with the wonderful Kurt Mega. You may have yeah. seen him on Glee, playing the part of Nick. He is also it, in Buffer. You may not have realized that was Nick. It is was. It, did, I don't know if they ever said his. He was Uptown. Girl, one time we said he said it. One time. One time. So that was exciting. <laughs> well, he was Nick. You all know his name now. <laughs> he was Nick in Glee. He was Mr. Ben Little. In buffering, you also has been on NCIS LA. He's been on the Edgar Allan Poe's murder mystery dinner party. It's a long name. That was long. We shortened it to Poe Party. <laughs> Poe. Oh, Poe po party. party. Yeah. Yo, that sounds like a cool song that LMF done <laughs> back in the day. Uh, Crazy ex girlfriend, Code Black, uh, uh, Game Shakers, so many other things. He also has a wonderful podcast called Story Matters. Hey. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Mr. Kurt Mega. Hello, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be on. This is exciting. Hi. I'm, you know what? I, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm a big fan of, of, of uh, Code Black. You really are a big fan of the podcast. I, like <laughs> Friends of mine will be like, yeah, man, I subscribe. But like, that's it. I left your review this and morning. Like, I know. But like, you'll text me and be like, man, I love that episode. I'll be like... Thank and you. I and I pinpoint Thank specific you, Daniel. parts, so like, you know, like you I've have no like, idea. Like I feel like you guys can probably attest. Like when you start like mm-hmm. rolling on episodes, when people listen and go, "I listen," you're like, "Cool." But when like like people you know listen, you're like, "You listen." Like, I had a student today who was like, "I listened to your recent episode," and I was like, "It really means a lot." You did, <laughs> really? <laughs> Thank well, you. <laughs> well, especially if they can like pinpoint things, like they bring up, like I really enjoyed this conversation, right? And this, uh, that was the <laughs> sound of. All technological things that happen. Uh, <laughs> it also means a lot too because I feel like we're getting into a bigger conversation already. But like the engage engagement is so much more uh, 
meaningful than just numbers, you know? Right. You can get like 10,000 downloads on something and you're like, cool, that's cool, I think. But when one person is like, hey, this specific thing really meant a lot to me, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's real. Well, also know? because you could have like, I could download something and listen to the first 10 minutes of it and be like, mm, this is garbage. Right. And like, so when you hear like, I listened to your entire minute, hour, minute, minute 15. Uh, 103, you go, <laughs> you were actually listening. I thought everybody had tuned out. <laughs> oh, thank God you got past the intro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for again. having me. Um, I just want to start off talking about uh, uh, your path. I know you're, you're from Dallas, mm-hmm. um, as mm-hmm. am I. Um, what was that path, you know, from Dallas to LA? What what was that like? What kind of caused and spurred that move? Well, at first, every at, so for a long time, growing up doing theater, mm-hmm. I I guess I always assumed. I'll go back when I was little and I started doing theater. My first love was Broadway soundtracks. Okay, uh, my I had a boss, uh, the creative artistic director at this children's theater I grew up at. Her name is Kathy Ward, and she had this amazing, incredible office uh, at this theater where she had literally hundreds of Broadway soundtracks, mm-hmm. and she would uh, only select kids were kind of allowed to like check out from her library. And so I fell in love with musicals and Broadway musicals, and I'd never been to New York, and so I'd always, in my fantasy, I'd always kind of thought, New York, that's, you know, everything creative and beautiful that I love is all about New York. And so L.A. was never really on the radar for me because I'd always thought theater, theater, theater. Um, and then, and honestly, so I wish I had, I wish I could say like, oh, I've always wanted to be here. It was kind of an accident. When I was um, 18, I had been doing theater and accidentally somebody that I knew from Dallas, uh, her name was Jennifer Stone. She had come out to LA mm-hmm. and I had been doing, you know, little bunny shows and kids plays with her. <laughs> I played a werewolf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We did Pocahontas together, and she had booked. Were you? Um, you were both Pocahontas. Yes, we had dual role, <laughs> uh, a two-headed Pocahontas. Really advanced there. Really uh, moving uh, forward in Dallas. But no, so she, so she came out to LA, and she had booked this movie called Secondhand Lions with Haley Joe Osment. Yeah, I remember that. And one. it was like the first time that somebody that I knew had actually been in a movie. You know, it had only been a thing that I, I just I, I knew people who had done Broadway. I'd had mentors and teachers come, but. This idea of like, I, I just never thought that was a possibility. Right. I just thought that was like something you could only do maybe once you went to New York and had like earned your stripes or whatever. And so I started thinking and looking up into it and, and her mom was very kind and kind of guided us into um, finding an agent, finding a manager. Oh, that's cool. And so I got an agent in Dallas uh, who I'm still with to this day. Like sometimes I still send in tapes for them. They're really wonderful uh, Campbell agency in Dallas. Oh, yes. They're one of yeah. the bigger agencies. Yeah. There Nancy, in Nancy Johnson and Nancy Campbell and uh, Sharon Howell. Really wonderful team of people. Shout out because I know they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. They're listening. <laughs> uh, and then um, they, after a year or two, after like starting to really kind of get into it and start to go, wait, I think I... I think I like film acting. This is a different thing that I just didn't know I enjoyed. I started taking more film classes. I started doing a Meisner class and it felt like, and I, and I teach, you know, I teach acting now and I feel like I went through this phase, which a lot of actors go through when you start to do film and TV, which is at first you feel so limited because mm-hmm. you've been used to having this freedom to just be loud and big and broad and all these things. And all of a sudden you're like, don't do anything. And it's just, it feels confining. Subtle, be subtle. Yeah. And you're like, so I can't do anything. I just feel like a prisoner. And then you have this stage and my, 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 uh, teacher, I don't know if I can swear. So I'll just say F it. My teacher always said F it. She goes, you'll have the F it stage where you go, 
oh, I don't need to be anything. I don't need to do anything. I just need to be present and real and make the best choices I can in the moment. And that was like a huge breakthrough. I remember, I remember being in an acting class in Dallas, like in near like, like right off 75, this little like warehouse of a space and like having a class and walking outside and going like, I think I love film acting. I think this is what I really love to do, which is very much like a conundrum because I was like, Everything had been. I was always going to go to New York. Right. I think everybody has that moment where they realize that 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 split because it, it, right. it really is New York or L. A. Right. And I think everybody there's everybody comes to that kind of moment. It's like and there's yeah, there's so much uh, pressure on like making the right choice mm-hmm. of like you got to well which one are you going to do you got to pick one and I think that the I think that now it's easier than it than ever to kind of go between the t- I mean it's still not easy but like it's possible to kind of sort of still pursue theater and film kind of yeah kind of maybe not i don't know it's more possible than it was but but man back then well like six seven years ago i was like pick one and so then my manager i kind of talked my agent sorry i talked to her and she was like well we uh we have a manager who we work with in la and he's coming out uh, in a few months so if you want to meet with him see what he thinks so i said okay and i met with him and i did you know a monologue or whatever and he said listen i think you're great uh but you know if you want to work, you got to move to LA, you know, like I can't rep you from here. That's just not a thing I can do. I can't be like, I got a guy and like, there's already every actor in the world is out here. Nobody wants to hear you got a guy, but he's in Dallas No. So I knew I needed to make a choice. And so, uh, yeah, I came, I remember visiting here like for two weeks. I had a very dear friend, uh, who literally was like, let me borrow her car and drive around. Which is very, which is crazy, <laughs> which is insane. Did you have to Uber for her a little bit? Pick uh, up extra cash. Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even think Uber was like a thing. Then. Probably not. Yeah. Probably. Wow. Not. <laughs> Back in the dark days, and uh, yeah, and so I came out here, and you know, I did a few auditions. My first audition ever was for uh, General Hospital, and I auditioned for Spring. Uh, sorry, I auditioned for the uh, American Idiot on Broadway. Oh. Wow. So I, it, that was kind of a weird thing too, of like getting here and being like, oh. I guess I'm done with theater. And then my second audition was actually for theater. And I went, huh, maybe it's possible to still like do some of the things that I know. Right. But like in this new place that I'd never considered. So how old were you when you moved here? Uh, I was 22. Well, okay. So that was in the, that was in the summer when I visited. Mm-hmm. What I did is I got a job at Starbucks. I just turned 22 mm-hmm. and I got a job at Starbucks in Dallas literally so that after the six month mark when you can transfer i could transfer to la oh wow i worked at starbucks in dallas for six months and literally the day i could transfer i transferred here that's a different story because i got here and then the store said that they didn't have any room for me so that's a different thing but uh that's upsetting but 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 the act of faith is like okay i'm gonna get a job and in six months i'm leaving Mm -hmm. um which was such a crazy switch because i said i'd always thought i was gonna go to new york i'd always thought that and I ended up coming to LA before I'd ever actually visit. I came to LA before I ever went to New York. I'd never been right. to, I still hadn't been to New York right. at that point. Right. right. So wow. then I, so then I got here in January of 2010. Oh, and that's, that's when it all started. Yeah. Now, yeah. um, what was the immediate differences that you noticed? Like the feelings of LA that you noticed from Dallas? Like what the first two weeks was like possibility and freedom. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's all possible. And then very quickly, this kind of feeling of this like overwhelming feeling of like, I don't know how to get in the door. I always, I always like, you've ever seen like uh, the original Willy Wonka yes. and they say uh, when he's driving, he's like walking by with a little cart and Charlie's looking up and he goes, nobody ever goes in. 
nobody ever comes out. <laughs> and I always feel like that's a really great metaphor for LA. It, it really is. Because the first time you're here, you drive by the studio and you go, it's all around me. Mm-hmm. And then you move here and you're like, yeah, but they don't want you. No, no, there's, <laughs> you're it's not allowed in. You drive around and it's like, I don't, this is why there's a ton of walls right. and giant gates. Exactly. And there's security a, there's a physical barrier. Mm-hmm. And I think in New York, having been there, I still, I'm so glad I moved here, but like, there's this kind of feeling of like every night theater like spills into the streets, you know, right. the, the doors open and people f- come out. But in LA, it's this thing where you're like, you know, what's happening, but you really don't get to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, you may see like a trailer and like a security guard, you know, setting up like parking, but like, you don't get to see the process. It's this thing that happens behind closed doors. And well, even on locations, you'll see the trucks, right. and you'll see the equipment in the trucks. Right. And you'll you go, I know there's a thing yeah. happening. You but... maybe see people in headphones walking around, but you don't see anything happening. Right. And so, so there's this feeling of kind of closed offedness and kind of isolation and, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, it's weird. Cause it's like, as much as I was like excited to be here, I also got pretty lonely and pretty like, uh, just feeling like, what do I do? How do, what's an entry point? You know, it kind of feels like a sperm and an egg. Right. <laughs> like, right. Uh, where do I get in? <laughs> you know? um, how about the people? Did you notice anything between Texas and LA? Like what the differences in the people that you were meeting and seeing? I had a weird experience because like... only people I knew here mm-hmm. were people that I worked with at Starbucks. Okay. And they were really lovely and they were really nice and made me feel like I had some kind of community, but like, but it was very much just a working relationship and so outside of that, like nobody, it was weird too. Cause I expected everybody to be an actor, but like nobody at the store that I moved to was an actor or whatever. There was one guy who was like a director and who I ended up doing a, like trying to do some stuff with, but most everybody was a student. So it was kind of a weird thing where I, oh. I felt kind of like out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did have one friend here and her name was Diane and she, um, you, I don't know if you guys know Diane. Um, and she's, she works as a producer and, and she, she was wonderful. She actually opened up. She, she, um, her uncle, like, ended up living, ended up living uh, behind her uncle's house and paid $400 a month in rent, which is the only reason I was able to sustain myself out here on a Starbucks income. Uh, and so she was my one friend, uh, and she was very kind, and, you know, we would hang out. But, like, she was busy, and she kind of already been here for a while and was doing her own thing, and so... You know, uh, outside of that, I really, I really didn't know anybody, and so I felt like I didn't have a good sense of people initially because I felt so isolated, and I felt very much like I just, it was like the people at Starbucks, which were students, Mm -hmm. mostly most of my customers were students, and Mm -hmm. then I came home. So how did you, how did you kind of handle that? How did you deal with the loneliness and 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 that that immediate like sense of big and you little? Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy because yeah, because you move here and you go, I'm in it now, and all of a sudden you go, I've never felt more isolated. Um. I mean, this sounds terrible, but maybe it's a, it's either the, a good thing or a bad thing. I just, I watched a lot of television <laughs> and I watched a lot of movies because that's the stuff that made me fall in love with theater and storytelling and acting. So, you know, I went back to the stuff that I really loved and maybe, maybe it was a little bit of a crutch. <laughs> maybe it was my, uh, you know, I didn't drink a six pack every night, but I did binge watch, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you didn't drink a six pack, but you watched six episodes exactly, of exactly. the show. Um, but ironically, I always say it was one of the best things that happened because, Literally one of the things I did the second or th- the second month out here, I started watching uh, Glee. I actually mm-hmm. like got the first season and like remember like binge watched it in my room and I I kind of pulled into myself and I watched a lot and I started uh, I just started like going to a bunch of classes and I started writing a lot. 
because nice. I really didn't know what else to. I mean, honestly, I didn't know what else to do. It wasn't like I was inspired. I was just kind of confused. I, and it's weird. I wasn't like I was both the most depressed and most excited I'd ever been. I know it sounds weird, but like I was really, I was really hopeful that this was all going to be something cool. Mm-hmm. But I also was like. Oh my gosh, I'm by myself. And I'd never been by myself before. Well, it's a roller coaster, I think, of emotions. So I think there's moments of inspiration and hope and joy and love. And like, I can't believe I'm here. And you're throwing your hat in hat in the air, Mary Tyler Moore style. And then when you catch it, you realize no one's around to see you catch it. Right. No, one's, <laughs> no one's there to help you're you catch it or do anything. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love, I think the biggest, I, I, did you ever watch Scrubs? Yeah. Well, I, I love that uh, show. There's an episode where um, uh, the main, uh, the lead female, um, the blonde, I can't think of her name all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, uh, I know you're talking yeah, about. She, she's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be my own person. And she gets on a bus, and she like rides to this random part of town. She gets off the bus, and she's like, I'm going to be my own person. She gets sight, and she does the Mary Tyler Moore, throws the hat in the air, and this guy runs by and grabs her hat and like <laughs> runs off with it. And I'm like, that's L.A. That's like, L.A. To me, that is a hopeful inspiration, and then somebody just takes it right from you. When it's such a city of people... I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to speak for everyone. There's a whole section of the city of people who just live here and aren't actors and aren't creative people. It's always weird when you meet those people. You're like, "Where are you from?" And they're like, "Here." And you go, "Really? What is that like?" Turn on the light, check them out. <laughs> like, what do you? Or like, they, you're like, "Yeah, I just work in an office and like finance." You're like, "Really? Can I study?" What is it? What is that? Um, but yeah, it's like it's 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 a thing because it's like everybody, whoever was told they had talent or believed in themselves, whatever, they moved here. And so everybody is trying so hard to to find an entry point. That's why I use the metaphor of like the sperm and the egg because it literally is like one of you is going to get in and everybody else is going to have to go find a different way in. 50 50 identical people trying to get into one small opening. Right. And so that (laughs) – uh, I don't know what you're laughing about. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm just talking about LA. Uh, but that 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 repetition is is a yeah. It can take a mental toil. Like it it can really start to get to you. Mm-hmm. You know. So you said you you already kind of had a manager when you came here because you got connected through a friend yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. What were the auditions like when you got here? Where did you notice any differences between like auditions here than auditions in Dallas? The biggest thing is there was just actual film and television. You know, in Dallas, most of the auditions I had were uh, what they call industrial, mm-hmm. which is like, which is a weird thing to like. It's for anybody who doesn't know industrial, it's like a commercial within a company. Mm, it's like a training video, yeah. or like a safety video. So if you ever work for Dave and Buster's, I don't know if they're still using it. But for the duration of 2008 to 2013, if you worked at Dave & Buster's, I trained you. You saw, you saw the wonderful yeah. Kurt Mega. And my, my steadiest job in Dallas uh, before I left was I, for two years, I was one of the main uh, the people on JCPenney's training videos. <laughs> but they were actually really fun because they did like almost sketch comedy. Oh, nice. They had these two characters named Chip and Skip, and I was Skip. And like it was like one really dumb guy, like mm. just insanely dumb, and the other kind of like, all right, guys, all right, Chip, let's do, you know whatever. And I did those videos for two years, and like that was like a steady gig that I did. I wonder if uh, I, I worked for, uh, with an improv troupe in Dallas, and one, the guy that ran it worked for JCPenney and their marketing company. Interesting, the marketing department. So I wonder if he maybe because he was big on improv and sketch and comedy. Yeah. So I wonder if he helped. I don't know. Ben was his name. Ben. No, no. his name was Vaughn. 
No, he sounds fun. He's that a big, fun. big guy. You would, you would know. Him I would know. I would know. He's like the bouncer at a club kind of get big. Nice. Guy, like nice. that big guy. Um, um, but it was, it was a great gig and I guess I was kind of used to that. And then I think the weirdest thing was to come out here and like, just find out you're going to it. Like, and that's a weird that we talked about, like getting into a studio, like all of a sudden you get not, you get a call and you're like, Oh yeah, you like get to be on the studio tomorrow. And so then you have this really surreal thing where all of a sudden you're like, you're there <laughs> And you're like, you get it, you get a taste of it and you're like parking on the lot and you're like, then you do see actors. You know, one of the weirdest things that happened to me right away was I had been watching Glee on DVD in my apartment and then literally like had an audition for a show at Paramount and we're like walking up and seeing all the cast of Glee there and everybody was just hanging out and I was like, that's the cast of Glee. And I remember thinking like, I wish I could be in that show. I felt like I'd be super right for it. And then kind of being like, meh. In Dallas, you go to an audition, it would just be like, you know, at a random place in Dallas. And then in LA, you go to a studio and like, you see it happening. Yeah. You see 17 shows filming and you're like, whoa, it's all happening in here. (laughs) And then you do your audition and then like the next, you know, two minutes later, you're outside the gate and you're like, oh, okay. You know, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's almost like more tempting, mm-hmm. you know, in Dallas, it's like, well, if I don't get it, I never really saw it. But in LA, you're right there. It's teased. You, yeah. It's you just, you're like, yeah, 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 you're right there. You see it happening and you see it unfolding. Now, something I want to talk about, I know you, you, you probably, uh, you don't talk about this much. I'm sure it's not, doesn't come up a lot. Uh, you, you were on a show called, uh, I believe it's called Glee. I, I was on a show called it. Glee. Um, to the, so most of the world, you may have been guy who sang Uptown Girl, mm-hmm. uh, to a small few, you were Nick. Yep. Um, yep. now on your, your podcast, Story Matters, uh, I know you've interviewed some other people that, some other guys that were warblers, uh, with you. Um, I know you've said things like how, um, during certain times it was almost like you would lose one warbler every time you guys and you also every time you had you filmed you were kind of told this is the last time oh and then every you would always get called and so it was almost every time i'll raise it one step farther we'll just get real here on hollywood hustle yes uh the people the creators i think really liked us and we got along really well with the cast which was really wonderful and they were really warm and inviting but for some reason a lot of people in the production department i think found us to be a pain because i think it it was like we got to go to pasadena to shoot with those guys and all these things and Literally, people would be like, <laughs> people and crew would be like, God, I can't wait till we're done with you guys. And like, I really hope this is the last one. And so it was, yeah, it was the weirdest, it was just the weirdest surreal thing to kind of constantly be like, have a gig and then be like, but I don't know if it's a gig that I, yeah, it was always weird. I never felt like we were uh, allowed to like take ownership of it almost until after it was over. Oh, that's weird. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, but sorry, I inter- no, 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 it's fine. Please interrupt whenever you have something to say. Um, now I know on your story st- matters. No, <laughs> <laughs> now I know story on story matters. You, no, I'm you, kidding, you had I'm three episodes that I think for the most part focused a lot on Glee yeah. and the audition process. And so I don't want to take away from that. So please download, uh, go to iTunes story matters. Hashtag blessed episodes yeah. is a series. It's wonderful. He goes really into depth about how he got to the auditions for Glee. Um, so if we can j- just for paraphrasing yeah. purposes, um, I know you submitted a tape, I believe for like a contest, right? Uh, you, I'm just going to tell the whole story. You don't have to say anything. Um, you, you. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, for me, two like two parts. The reason I did it on the show was the first thing is like that is the thing most people know me for. It's not the thing I've put the most passion and time into. Right. It was an amazing opportunity. Right. But like, it was always a weird thing because in the in the scope of time and effort, I would be on that set every month or two months for a day. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I think people who didn't 
think about the process. We're like, you're working on Glee. And they're like, well, I mean, I worked on it on a Tuesday yeah. last month. Well, they, they also see that, like, you know, you're in this episode and then maybe 15 episodes later, yeah. which were filmed three months later. Right. Oh, there you Well, and it was weird. Like, season there. two, we were in it, like, seven episodes in a row. Like, right. we just were like, bam, 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 bam. But, like, people don't realize, like, that was one day on set every two or three weeks. So I never felt I belonged. We never felt we belonged. It was always like, whoa, we're doing this today, but this is... And so in writing those stories, the reason I chose to do those, because I'm trying to do more stories on the show, but the reason I chose to do those first is I think that's what most people know me for. And so I thought, okay, this is probably what most new listeners might be into, but also to try to take people in on the experience of it. I remember I was working at... um, 24-hour fitness and this was after i'd been on glee i'd done like three seasons of it and you know surprise surprise it doesn't pay that much money when you're only doing an episode every month or so Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) when you're when you work on one day on a set you're making maybe a thousand dollars maybe a little bit more depending on if your agent or manager is able to like negotiate if you're not a regular they are not going to they're not going to give you any more than what they have to and the sag minimum rate is like a thousand and then like a guest star rate which i eventually became is a little bit more but that's not that much money over every two months yeah and then you take out 50 percent of taxes you take out 25 for agent manager and you're left with like four to five hundred dollars to sustain you so when i was working at 24 hour fitness one time like in 2013 i think it was one of the people i was working with was like i was watching you on glee like why are you here like why are you working here like why are you not like you're a big mega star yeah and it was like it just kind of hit me like, oh, people don't really understand understand this. Like, people don't really understand like, oh, what the realities of like most actors. Mm-hmm. Most actors are like doing these bit parts, these guest star things, every so often, and then trying to uh, make it through to the next one. It's a working actor. It's not, and that's ninety five percent of the actors. Yeah. We only see the 5% because we watch them on TV and film, but it's like most actors mm-hmm. are living in the in-between. Don't they say it's like 1% yeah. that are like the, the super paid yeah. really well mega Well, stars? like I, I read a stat a few years ago that the average SAG actor salary is $6,000. And that's considering the fact that the 1% is making 20, 30 million a year a person. Mm-hmm. So if the average salary is 6000 so many more people have to be making so little. So it's like... That's the bulk of what most actors in LA are. And I think that was a, a big wake up call for me too, of like, oh, living in LA is not about, so what show are you on? It's more like, what are you doing to get through to the next thing? Yeah. How are you sustaining? Yeah, that's really, so when I wrote those stories, like that that to me is kind of what I wanted to, to share and demonstrate was like, hey, you may have known the highlights, but I want to take you Here's what was happening. Yeah, behind camera. the scenes, yeah. and not. And I was very. I really also didn't want to come off as complaining, right? No, be like guys, this sucked. But I wanted to give people this like sense of like, listen, it's so easy to look at everybody's victories and go, oh, they just get everything. They have everything. I guilt. I'm guilty all the time. I look at somebody's moment. I go, oh, duh, they're doing everything I want, and I forget about all the things in between. And I find that to be the mo- the thing that brings a a common ground. And brings about a connection and hopefully encourages people. It puts everybody so, on the same plane, on the same yeah. playing field. So yeah, the, basically the recap is just like, I auditioned, I sent in a tape, and after you know two years, I got to sing a solo, and I did fourteen or fifteen episodes. But it was this weird thing where it was always there, and then always not, and then always there, and then always not. And I always thought I was about to be done, and then it would come back, and it was always this seesaw up and down, back and forth. 
Thought I was going to be a regular on the show. Didn't happen. Thought I was going to do... It's just like it was like always maybe, but not, maybe, right. but not, you know. It was after I met you and uh, found that out uh, recently, We since it's on Netflix, we were going back because we never finished the series. We were going back just kind of watching the series when we got a chance. And, and whenever the Warblers would be on, uh, especially I think after hearing your, you talk about how like the next time someone would not be there, it was almost playing like, one, where's Kurt? And it was like, there right. he is, there he is. Right. And two, who's not there anymore? By the way, this is so strange too because it wasn't like we would get any warning. Mm-hmm. It'd be like we all had like a running group text and it'd be like, hey guys, exciting that we're back on Tuesday. And then one person would go, we're back on Tuesday. And we'd all go, uh. <laughs> and you'd read, like, because you never knew who they'd ask back. Yeah, we're back yeah. to school on Tuesday. Uh, I know. But then, but then, but but at the same time, all of those guys—it was such a magical thing too. It, 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 I, I think I said this in an episode. I think the one I did with Telly recently, where it almost felt like this like secret, where like—and I'm not—I'm not really not including me in this—but so many of those guys are some of the most talented people I have ever met, and it was almost like this mat, this like little secret of like if if like the producers of Glee or like. The, even some of the audience, if they only knew what Telly could do, right? Or knew like John Hall, who was one of the beatbox warbler, one of the most incredible singers I have ever heard. Ever mm-hmm. just got a record deal. He's in Nashville now. He's done two. I mean, I mean, like it's, it was kind of this weird thing where people would be like, "Who are these guys? Are extras?" And it's like, well, just wait and see. Like my buddy Riker, you know, he was with me in the background much of the time, right? And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was a really great moment. I thought I this oh, this is a great story to share. We were on set and Riker had approached one of the main cast members who was talking about music. And Riker Lynch, he's in a band called R Five. And at the time, they were nobodies. Like right. I remember going and seeing a concert of theirs the following summer with like a hundred people in Orange County. And I was like, mostly and now they're like, playing the Nokia Theater. Yeah, and yeah, and it was mostly like moms being like, yay. <laughs> and I remember like somebody, one of the cast members, talking and saying like, yeah, I'm doing an album. And Riker had such like, such like courage and was like, hey, my family's in a band. Uh, we, you, we should collaborate. And his cast member was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> And then, like, I saw that person several years later, and they were like, oh, my God, I was at the Teen Choice Awards, and I looked over, and there's, like, their band, like, reserve seats. Like, I didn't even have reserve seats, and they're up there presenting, and he was like, oh, my, that, I forgot. Like, I, not that he took them for granted, right. but definitely, like, you never whoa. Know. And that was always kind of, like, the magic of the Warblers of, like, every one of those guys, this guy named Nelson, mm-hmm. he's on tour with Rihanna. He's one of her main singers. Right. Uh, all those guys have gone on to do uh, one of the guys from the first few episodes Chris Mann is the the Phantom and Phantom uh, in the national tour like they've all gone on to do remarkable things things. so it was kind of a it was kind of a weird thing to kind of just sit back and learn and listen and watch and maybe not necessarily get the ball right but like grow and learn and then like see all those guys just go right you know well I'd like to uh, just send a quick message to Tolly real quick I know you're probably listening um (laughs) I did uh, all good things uh, in Godspell. Yes. Um, uh, for my church back in Dallas. So if you ever want to come at me, bro, <laughs> we could have a all good things off. Side note: Yours is a lot better <laughs> <laughs> because you're actually fit to sing that range. I was oh, not. It isn't totally it was, remarkable. It was. It was. Oh. It was. It was uh, I, when I was listening to it, I was like, "Please don't be better than me." Oh, of course he is. Of course he, he is. Better. Telly is just oh, out well, of this world. It's funny out of this world. It's literally the highest 
I, I think the highest pitched song mm-hmm. in, in the show and they give it to me to sing. And I'm like, I have the deepest voice out of everybody in this cast. Why would you make me that part? And it's one of the things like about maybe LA that's a little sad sometimes is the people overlooking people's talent mm-hmm. because of mm, reputation or looking at one thing. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever it is, like whether it's your following or whatever your branding, because it was like a weird thing where sometimes people would mistake us as being background actors. And and I and it wasn't even so much I I'd be offended, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be like that's Tally Leung. He was in he's worked with Stephen Sondheim. He was in Rent. He's are, this is I like come on. Like so it was kind of like a weird thing of like people not realizing that, right. you know, and going like who's that guy? It's like that's one of the best Broadway actors he's not we have just working. The guy today. in the background, he's doing things, yeah. and making things, and doing yeah, doing so, something that you're not doing. Yeah, so it's just kind of a weird thing to have, like you know, someone on crew be like, "Oh, background actors," and you're like, "No, that's not a background actor." Um, but that's kind of an LA thing. That is like a, that is an LA thing of people, I think, just like not being aware of what somebody has done or could do, or giving sometimes. them chances to show those right. things. Uh, but yeah, so totally come at me, bro. Um, so. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about just for people maybe that are listening and thinking about coming here and doing work in the studio a lot, they get that chance to be on the studio. Um, any tips for being on set, uh, for being around, especially if you're not like a lead on the show, right. maybe you're an extra or a guest star. Um, any tips for kind of like how to act on set to make give the best positive? So many. You know, you know my day job now is I teach and I coach actors. Mm. So that's, you know, that's what I eat, sleep, and breathe 24-7. The biggest thing is you got to be a part of the puzzle. You have to solve problems. I think a lot of actors, I love I love the training that I got. I love, you know, Stasovsky and Meisner and Chekhov and all these things. Great. But honestly, like none of that matters on set. <laughs> Nobody cares about your process. And I've seen actors sabotage themselves by doing a scene and being like, well, how was it? And it's like, we hired you because you know, nobody goes to the sound guy and goes, how are you feeling about the sound? You know, nobody goes to the to the props person is like, did you feel good about that? It's like you just you're there to do your job. And I think that because coming from theater and coming from like that kind of world where you're a little bit more like it's about the actor. I think it can mislead actors into thinking like it's about me. It's about me. And it's like, well, you are on camera, but you are one piece of a much larger puzzle. I think think in the, the biggest sense, it's about the budget. Yeah. It's like we have we have this place for one day. And it's costing us right. a million dollars today just and to I, be here. I, I've seen firsthand actors do a scene, and then literally the director's like, "Great!" And then they're like, "Wait, how was that?" And the director go, "Fine." Like, I, I got to think about getting seventeen more shots before it's six o'clock, and then we lose the sun. Like, mm-hmm. I hired you to come and do what you do, which I think then the demand of the actor is to be a problem solver, like to not think in terms of like, was I good? But more like I'm here to like solve a problem. The problem is how do we get this thing done by a certain time? And I'm going to be as consistent as I can be every single time and give them as many options, as many things to work with. And I I so encourage actors to understand the filmmaking process because when you start to dabble with editing, if you dabble with sound, even though it's like doesn't feel like we're talking about the important things like emotion and feeling, it's like yeah, well, just like picking up your coffee cup at the same part in every single line can be the difference between an editor going, "Great, I can use this," versus going, "This shot is not usable. The, the wide doesn't match the close up." 
So the technicality, I think, sabotages a lot of actors. So know your craft. And I don't just mean know your emotional like choices. Know the craft. Mm -hmm. Know what the DP is doing. Know what the difference between an 85 and a 50 lens is. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, we're at a 20. That's a wide. If you're at an 85, oh, we're close. Like know those things because it'll make your job easier. And then you're the kind of actor they want to keep around. And I think the reason that they tended to keep the warblers around was because I think all those guys were pros mm. and tried so hard to just every take, give it their all. And even though we were a little bit problematic because we had to shoot a new location and all these things, at the end of the day, I had multiple like producers and writers be like, we love having you guys because you guys always give us so many great options. And I, we knew our roles too. Yeah. My role was never to like take over a scene, but I knew what I was there to do was there to do, was there for, whatever. What I was there for (laughs) was to give them things to cut away to and reactions. And so I made it, we made it our goal. I mean, we literally made a pact one time. We're like, okay, we don't really have anything to do on paper. So we are going to react the hell out of this. Mm -hmm. We are just going to be in the moment and we're going to have a backstory. We're just going to react and listen and just be in the scene. And it was beautiful because then you'd watch the episode and you'd be like, there'd be a scene happening between the two main characters and a little cutaway moment that would make that scene go from being good to like fully three-dimensional and alive and visceral and real. Yeah, so it's like I realized... There are small parts. You hear the no small parts. Yeah, yes, there are. There are very small parts. But you giving your all and really understanding your role in that process can make everybody's job better and they're going to be really happy to have you on set every time. And that's the kind of thing where they're going to write you in. And like for me, like I was never supposed to do anything, but I gave it my all and I think that they liked my work and they found me to be pleasant and they knew that my reactions and things were great. And they went, hey, we have a chance to throw them a bone. Sure. Yeah. That's opportunity, yeah. you know? I, I think also another thing to think about is, like, reading the room. Like, mm-hmm. know when you can talk and know sure. when you could approach someone. Like, I think I think that's the biggest well, thing, because especially case with, Case like, in point, oh, my God, the cast, you know, they've been there for two years. Yeah. So they could be in their phones and talking, and it was pretty obvious that we couldn't. And it's like, hey, that it is what it is. Right. This is there. This is their set. Mm-hmm. We are guests. I'm literally a guest. If I'm a guest star or a co-star, I am here as a guest. My job is to, again, be the least problematic person in the room. Nothing is better than having an actor who you can just go, go, action, and then finish and go, that was great. Moving on. Wow, we just saved 45. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I think you know you have the, the actors that come in that are new and just moved here. Maybe they got their first guest star gig and they're bubbly and energetic, but it's also like don't rush up to someone and go, hi, my name's Dave and I, I've studied at the dramatic arts of blah, 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 blah. And like, you know, if they're getting a pizza, that may be the only thing they get to eat that day. Like let them get food. If they, if they seem open to talk, they'll talk. Like, and I, I think too, this goes, you know, it's both your, your behavior on set, but also understanding your role in the scene. I had a really wonderful casting director give me this life changing advice, which was, she said, are you there to help? Are you there to hinder? in your role as the actor and don't overcomplicate it. You know, if your job in the scene is to like, here's your, here's your wine, sir. Help just serve the wine, trying to make it a thing, trying to be like, I'm going to be the waiter who comes in and does a little, they're not going to like that. They're not going to go. That is an adorable little, you did a little trip. You little trip. So they're going to go, that's not the scene. What are you doing? 
just <laughs> solve give for them, X. Give them the Coke and then walk away. Right. And so if you can like understand your role and go, listen, I'm here to accomplish this and help these characters get from point A to point B. You know, when I was doing NCIS, like my character literally is literally there to get the main detectives to the next location. So my job is to get exposition out as quickly as possible and to give it an emotional resonance that makes them go, A, I know where to go, and B, oh, I feel something. Right. That's my only job. And so I can't make it more than that. Even though I think I might be doing I'm doing great work, it's only gonna be pissing the people off behind the camera going, What is this guy doing? Let's just can we just get the scene? So if you can be a problem solver, mm-hmm. and also too, I've been saying this this week in class, uh, you cannot book a role. You don't you don't book a role. Somebody else books you. I think so many actors go into rooms trying to book it. You know, like that. You can't book it. All you can do is basically give your pitch of how to solve their problem. You know, here's the problem. I need a person who can do this thing in a scene. And you go, great. Well, here's my here's my version of how I think that could work for you. Take it or leave it. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Taking the pressure off yourself. Uh, so real quick, just kind of in this kind of section about Glee and things like that. Um, I just want to just can you give just kind of a quick rundown of how the tour happened mm. and kind of just that experience and and kind of how you handled that time right. uh, being away. And that was really like the that. beginning of like getting to feel like more of a part of that family. And it was so special. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, we'd been doing the show. We'd done five or six episodes and there had been like a rumor of like, you know, they're doing a tour this year, but we're like, they're not going to take us. And then people were like, well, they, people like the warblers. They might. So then it was like, really? Well, well they're going to take Darren and you know, and it, we, so we kind of kept being like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then one day the voice guy came up to us, vocal coordinator and was like, guys, they're going to take several of you. So, and he pulled me aside and said, like, I think it's going to be you. It's going to be Riker. It's going to be Titus. It's going to be Telly. And they kind of picked what that little crew was that kind of has become our bond that's lasted still. And, um, yeah, it's weird because, like, they didn't really have to. Honestly, they probably could have found dancers. They probably could have. But it was really cool that the producers, I think, noticed that fans noticed us and were like, let's take those guys. And so... Um, I attribute so much of anything I've gotten to do since then because of tour. So many of the fans that I've made or peak connections I've made all started on that. I met people in every city and we, it was great. We just literally like being the kind of guests there, we just like made it our mission to just like meet every person. You know, we'd be out the, by the bus and there'd be people like, are you guys in the show? We'd be like, yeah, we're, we're doing it, but thanks for coming. And we just got, it was, I don't know. It was the coolest thing I've ever done ever. We did 42 shows in like three months. We played Staples Center. We played the Garden. We played Manchester, the O2 Arena in London. Uh, Lighting in a box. I don't. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Like I don't. I don't think quite. I appreciated what it was. Mm -hmm. But like, name a TV show that can do that ever again. Like you know what I mean. Like it's it's crazy. And um, and you walk by. Uh, one of the interviews in the movie, correct? You I did, yes. <laughs> yeah, they were filming like all over and there's like a great moment in the Glee live movie where you see me walk in and go, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you greatest. Did, you, did, you didn't want me? You and didn't. that was really when we started feeling like part of a family because, you know, on set, talking about the difference between film and theater, on set, there was really no time to talk to the main cast. It was like, just do your thing. We They were cordial and nice, but that was an opportunity where the four of us, Warbler guys, really became friends with those guys and really especially with Darren and all the like we just really got to like we felt like we were part of their family and we were we were on stage every night and 
we were in numbers they were in and all these things. And then, uh, yeah, man, that was, a, I still, sometimes I can't believe it happened. I go, that happened. I can't believe it happened. Right. Uh, so cool. I'm the coolest thing I've ever done. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what was it? What was the feeling when it was over? When like the last episode had shot, you know, Glee ended. Um, what was kind of that? What, what did you do to kind of keep moving on instead of I think it was less painful than I would have imagined because we had kept thinking it was the end over and over so honestly the last few episodes felt more like a surprise than it than a like than like a sadness it was like I remember like the last episode I did I was I had already said goodbye to the show I was like wow that was it we'd done season four I think or maybe no season five or something no season four and I was doing a tour with my buddy Joe and Tessa when I was in like Chicago doing a sketch comedy tour. Kind of already be like, well, this is my life now. I've moved on. And like getting a phone call. And they're like, hey, you're back next week. I'm going, really? <laughs> and so that was really, it was a, that was a surreal experience. This is the episode where we kill Nick off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a surreal experience because it was, uh, it was shortly after uh, Corey had passed away. And so that was a... Uh, a bittersweet thing of like it was really wonderful to see everybody again there was definitely a heaviness and a sadness but I think it helped us really appreciate the last moments that we had together because we were just were there and it was like because of that happening and nobody was like well what's my role like everybody was just like let's all just be here for each other and what a beautiful thing that we get to come together and make a television show that people love and you know, especially after losing somebody who was so instrumental. And it, it really was like a celebration of what that show, at least for us, the four of us, I remember it was like, we get to do this one last time. That's cool. And it was the proposal episode where Curtin, it was like, it was cool to be there for the culmination of the storyline that we had been around for since the beginning. Um, so like weirdly, like honestly, it wasn't that hard. I had already kind of dealt with all that. Right. The last season thinking that was it. Right. And so... It was kind of a really nice comeback reunion, and then it was like, great. And then it was weird because season six, they brought in a whole bunch of new warblers. But by that point, I was like, well, we would have graduated. So, you know, it was kind of like we, we kind of were able to walk away from it. Honestly, the hardest thing was never knowing what we were doing week to week when it was happening. Right, right. Because uh, you just get calls like the day before. Yeah, the day, two yeah days and you'd before, always right? hope, well, maybe I'm going to be in this episode, or, you know, maybe I'm going to have something more to do or whatever, but... But in the end, it was just like a celebration of everything we had, you know, and mostly the coolest thing is the friends I got out of that, those are still some of my best friends. You know, I still, I I talk to those guys on the regular. I love those guys. You know, we all love each other. We all show up to each other's stuff. So Glee gave us the gift of a community of friends in LA, which is very difficult to find. And so that's the greatest gift, you know, that show gave to me. And you can listen to some of those conversations on yeah. Story Matters. Yeah, Riker, uh, <laughs> Titus, yeah. So let's go on to something even more important. Uh, a, a wonderful, started small, became big uh, web series. Yeah. Slash, t- I guess, TV series, if you want to look at it in the sense of a series of episodes that you can play on your TV. Um, buffering. It's funny you should say, what? how did I deal with the sadness of Glee? Buffering. <laughs> <laughs> That was actually something that I had started to do between the last one I thought we were done, mm-hmm. and and when we came back for that kind of surprise thing. Right. Uh, I I in my kind of what do I do now? My buddy Mike Tobias, who created Buffering, and uh, uh, Eric Carroll, who I knew, had reached out to me and just said, "Hey, we're doing a thing. You want to come be a part of it?" And you know, I had I had thought I would do so much more at that point with my career, and so I was like yeah, like I'm just looking for anything. And 
it really was nothing. You know, at first it was literally nothing. And so I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I thought it was going to be like one episode. No, know? was it Mikey that you knew that kind of brought you into it? Or how did, how, who did you know? And how did, it was how did Mike that? and Eric. I had okay. met them through, again, my friend Diane, okay. who had kind of been instrumental in, in, in introducing me to a lot of people. And she had been so kind in like introducing me to like friends outside of my Starbucks <laughs> employees. Right. And so I'd gotten to know them a little bit, but they were very kind of on the fringe of my friend circle. I didn't really know them that well. I just knew they were from Dallas. They had gone to UNT. Uh, Mike, Mikey Tobias, he had actually uh, gone to Lamar High School, which is where I would have gone, except that I was homeschooled, and he actually attended the theater school I mentioned at the beginning of the, at the podcast. Very cool. So we had like a lot of connections there. Um, and it was like a leap of faith. I was like, I don't really know you guys, but uh, sure. <laughs> now, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you guys want to learn something about LA, the biggest thing is he met Mike and them through Diane. I met Kurt through Mike and Eric, who I also went to college with. So again, LA is very much that you know from one. Per- it's literally leapfrogging from one person to another person. It's very much who you know in the city. So yeah. if there's a really example of that. That's here right now because it was really funny. Mike would call me. Me and Mike kept in touch after they moved here, and I would talk to him at least maybe once a month on the phone. And I remember he was like, "Yeah, we're shooting this web series, and uh, there's this guy named Kurt Mega that's in it, and it's we just filmed it one day in our apartment." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool. You guys doing a little a little show? That's that's not, yeah. not trying to belittle it in any way, but like, no, oh, I mean, you guys are doing something. Yeah, really I think cool. it's then, important yeah. to acknowledge the roots, though. Yeah, absolutely. That's even like in in writing like the hashtag bus thing. Is it's like it's so easy to look at the final thing. Thing. But it's like, yeah, no, really, it was literally like a camera. It was a, it was a, a wedding video, like not even a. It wasn't even like a digital camera. Like it was like we were. Sh- I don't know what we were. It was, why it was a cranked camera? Why like. were we? Yeah, it was literally a Charlie Chaplin. No, <laughs> like, I don't know why we shot on it. It looks terrible. But you know what? It sounds terrible. Watching it, you you, <laughs> you 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 when you watch it, and when I first saw it, it reminds me of when you see like. This was Martin Scorsese's college submission film, and it's almost very similar. I love to that, that like, comparison. Like, but it's like that the pilot gr- episode of Buffering. <laughs> Martin. <laughs> Martin says, like, but it's that grittiness where it's like he didn't have money; he had some our, camera from our you know, inspiration his was uh, like Always Sunny because uh, okay. Always Sunny did their first episode shot on a VHS tape, mm-hmm. and it's not good. No, it's terrible. But when you watch it, what shines through are the characters, and you can feel that there's a lot of potential, even though it's like this is rough. But you can feel that they are on the brink of something. And that to me is what that felt like is it's like there was something funny enough to keep trying. Right. And you, we you did. did. You did six episodes, right? I know the first episode was shot. I, I believe the first two episodes were shot with your you guys just doing it on your own. And then three and four, I believe, you kickstarted. Yeah. And then five and six, you Indiegogoed, if I remember yeah. correctly. And, and, and it's weird to say there's only six because we did – Ugh, probably three hours of of story, mm-hmm. which in web series terms, like if I could do it again, if I wanted it to be more successful on YouTube, we should have broken it up into like 10 to 20 episodes because mm-hmm. we had enough there. But I think all of us were trying to do something a little more cinematic. Right. So it's like the last, you know, episode four was like 30 minutes. Episode five was like... It really grows to like from yeah. like seven minutes. It's an hour. So like the last one is like a film. Almost. Yeah, it's, like it's a, an a hour, film. which is basically a feature. So, Absolutely. So even though it was only six episodes, there was a lot more to it than that. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, kind of the thing where it's like we just started what we had and we just slowly got better as we went along. So let's uh, let's just kind of pick an episode. Let's say, uh, I believe, is episode three the kind of spy action episode? Is that episode, the- episode three is the audition episode okay, where they're what- in the garage. Episode five is the heist 
okay. spy action one. Is that one with the fire? And, yeah. Okay. So, so what is, you know, obviously this is kind of a guerrilla production in a lot of ways. I mean, you guys got permits because you guys did raise some money yeah. for the show. Even then, those were worthless. <laughs> um, so let's just start with crowdfunding. Uh, tell us about kind of how that process went for you guys. Well, I've, and- been, I've been so lucky to be part of some really wonderful crowdfunding projects. Buffering was one of the first things I've been around. You know, recently I did a show called Spies Are Forever that we literally did all all crowdfunding. But, you know, that was like our first like, do people want to back this? And they did. Uh, the biggest thing with crowdfunding, I would say, is it's nice when you know people want to see it. Uh, it's not easy, though. I think a lot of people who haven't done it go, oh, you just people like will pitch like yeah we're gonna do a thing and we're just gonna crowdfund it and i go really well how <laughs> it takes over your life yeah it takes over your life and it's hard because just because you put up a thing doesn't mean people are gonna find it much less back it mm-hmm. and then there's the creative burden of getting it done and then at the same time fulfilling your backer rewards and like all these things you have to like so it's not free it's not like free money it really is a relationship you have to build with a fan base but for me like it was great because it let it let us develop a really strong relationship with fans and really owe them something that's more personal than just like, Hey guys, whoever's listening on Twitter, watch this. Um, but yeah, we raised like 700 and then, and then we did another one. I think we raised like two or 3000 and we did another one and we raised like 12,000. Uh, and then we probably dropped another 10 grand of our own money into it collectively. So, you know, people were like, how much, People were like, you really need this much to make a web series? I was like, oh, we're we're putting in so much more than we're even asking for. Um, any know? tips for like uh, people that are looking to crowdfund? Like just kind of like, you know, make start, sure you do this, make yeah, sure you do this. Man, start the process before you launch it. Plan. You know, plan and then really promote before hitting live. Because I think so many people hit live and go, where's the money? And then all of a sudden they're desperate and like, spamming you but i think when you give people a sense of what it is you're trying to create you know what it is you're making ahead of time and saying listen we're going to be launching it it's happening we're doing it i think people really then have a good sense of like oh i want to support that i think that's important i think to say like know what it is because if you know what your show even if it's a show a podcast a movie know what the movie is in the sense of that pitch that that parent you know this is a, this is telling the stories of those who haven't made it yet but are working hard to make it. What what so when you tell people when they go what you're giving to you're helping get people artists and other uh, people who are working hard to pursue their dreams uh, uh, a way for their voice to get heard. Right. Like and, how what are they giving to? What right. is their money going towards? And remember, it's a relationship. It's not just a, give me money and I'm going to make something. You have to say like, you have to give them a voice in the process to some extent. And make them feel like they really, you know, because, in a, and the thing is, those people too are not just going to give you money. They're going to be your biggest fans in promoting the thing when it comes out. Absolutely. And so you're not just making a relationship for like, give me money and I'll make a thing. They're also your first, like, your first cheerleaders. <laughs> so like, it's important to really respect those relationships because when you drop whatever it is, a episode, a movie, an episode of a pot, whatever, like they're going to be the ones telling other people to, to do, to listen, to, to, you know, to watch, to take, to, to actually consume and like think about it and process it. So people do not forget what they've backed. Right. I think that's, they will remember oh, that. Trust so me, you I mean, can't I, just go, Oh, I didn't get those rewards out. Well, I guess I just got my buffering rewards uh, <laughs> for back years, which is fine. Yeah. I, I get it. It takes well, a while. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a great I lesson. I almost have forgotten about it. Honestly. It's a great lesson. Like, you know, the buffering thing, it took, 
a really long time to finish those out. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in the middle of, I'm doing this film right now where I still, you know, half of the pro- the things are supposed to be done when it's done. And turns out making a movie is uh, really hard. And so it's wait, taking wait, us. Sorry, what was that? It's hard. Making movies hard. I don't know oh, if anybody. I, I thought it's not all dreams and rainbows and well, snowball yeah, fights. And then lots of money. <laughs> uh, no, it's like just what like logistically scheduling, scheduling people makes it like you go, oh, we'll just knock these things out. And all of a sudden it's six months later and you're like, I still haven't. So like I'm I'm right now I mean I still have a bunch of backer rewards and probably angry backers. <laughs> Where's uh, my money? You know, but um, hopefully if they hopefully if you stay in contact with them and you stay you stay really attentive and you keep them included in the process, you know, uh, you know I, I guess I would hope that people don't back me just because they want. I I would hope people back me because they really appreciate my work and my process right. and want to be part of that and not just like here's money. Give me thing. You yeah. Know? What, um, uh, obviously you really, as you said earlier, you released it on, through YouTube. Um, I think probably every three or four or five months, yeah. uh, a new one would come out cause it took a while to film it. So again, scheduling and things like that. Um, how did you, how did you guys go about building the fan base? What was y'all's marketing, uh, idea and concept? Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's why I, in some ways I wish we could go back and redo it. YouTube was the wrong platform. Glad we did it. It's the platform we had. Mm-hmm. It's not, the, sorry, it's not the wrong platform. It's the platform we had access to. And it was just, I think, on that verge of becoming that, this is where you can make money if you can spend all your time making yeah, a video game. It's, that, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think that's when it was on that tipping point of advertising and yeah, and, things and, like that and happening. And to really now, like YouTube really leans towards... <laughs> I don't want to... YouTube does not necessarily uh, uh, advocate for like story based stuff but also you know it it also has trouble uh catering to its own creators right in a lot of ways too it it really i think maybe it's not youtube it's just culture whatever people tend to i find drift towards the more the vlogging and the like reaction videos or like people making content about somebody else's content which is a totally valid function of the internet and people really like that and get a lot of joy and a lot of uh love it and I'm so I'm not I'm not dissing it I'm not saying that like that's stupid but that's not what we were doing and it was very difficult to get people to just watch it honestly um, we had this really wonderful fan base of you know a, a few hundred people who whether it was because of Glee or whatever had paid attention but it was tough it was tough to like build a community of like especially okay here's why because we couldn't upload an episode every day mm-hmm. if you're following your favorite vlogger vlogging's hard but like it's easier to upload a video every day of a vlog than it is to, to like make a thing. And I, I'll never forget uploading the final six episode, which took us nine months to make. Mm-hmm. Blood, sweat, and tears, and we you know we sacrificed a lamb or something. You know, like it was a, a virgin on the altar. Like we like it was so hard, and like hitting upload and like going, it's live, and then like waiting for an hour for people to watch it, and then literally people being like, that was great. When's the next one? And going. <laughs> there is no next one. <laughs> watch, watch it twenty. You know, like going. I can't rep. And so the YouTube's like algorithm doesn't necessarily um, reward long form storytelling. But, but we had. I don't know. I wish I could say I knew how we developed a fan base. Except that I think it was the story. I think it was the characters. I think it was that Mike Tobias and Mike Kenichi who kind of really spearheaded Shadow. two through six. 
who really, you know, really, really worked on it and wrote it like it was a show they were hired to write for. They created characters that I think people really resonated with. And I think the actors created performances that people watched and went, I see myself in this. And so people started to really identify and get more out of it than just slapstick comedy. And that's where the most of our fans came from is they started to care and they started to really get invested and go. That's when I knew we had something special is when people were like, not just like, hey, it was funny when, uh, you know, so-and-so got sick on Indian food. But people would be like, I was thinking about Ben and, you know, I saw myself in him and I was asking myself like, I hope he I hope he gets help. You know, I hope he hope he reaches out to somebody for his like mental health. And I was like, oh, people are like, this is beautiful. Like people are caring about this and seeing real heartache and struggle in this ridiculously stupid story. Right. And that was the thing that I went, this is something we need to keep doing. Well, I think, you know, I think something that I noticed is kind of being on the outside and just kind of watching it happen and, and grow. Um you know, I think one of the biggest things I noticed is reacting to the fan base. I think, like you said, don't ignore the right. fan base. I think every time um, someone would tweet you or Eric or uh, 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 Mike or Kenichi, you guys would, at least within the day, respond. Honestly, and, now, you know, too, like, half of the people, like, on, my, on Story Matters, I even do a Patreon now. I mean, half the people that are there are people that became fans of Buffering that I've kept that relationship with. So those relationships were invaluable because they've continued to support the stuff that I've been making and doing. And I've gotten to know them and gotten to know about their life. And I feel so enriched by like checking in with them and finding out where they're at. So it became like this piece of art and comedy really yielded something like more in this relationship that it brought, you know, between creators and like audience, which is really cool. Absolutely. You know, I think, I think the biggest thing also that I think people probably drawn with that I know I was drawn to was you guys made something really big for YouTube. And I think that's still rare where it's good quality. I'm proud of that. That's a narrative. I'm proud that we never, like we started off in a living room and we went, Okay, no more. Like everybody does shows in living rooms. We're gonna we're gonna do a superhero movie. Let's get on the sure. world. Yeah, and we're gonna do Muppets. I'm and... I'm proud of that. Yeah. You know. And the other thing I will say is casting famous people is always helpful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or famous friends to be guest stars. We put Riker and Titus in it, and our episode count view count <laughs> tripled. Well, what's the word for like twenty twenty thirty? times like oh, tw- 30 25 25 it, it, it skyrocketed me no math um, um okay. to the point too where like some of the comments on like the episodes with other people will be like where's Riker? go to 26 22 to see Riker. <laughs> or like i only watch this because of this person and then when they were gone i stopped watching and you'd be like why, why do you why leave, would why you do tell you, why would you leave that comment you know what? I really like everything except that one piece of Ben's hair that just does not lay right. <laughs> it really bothers me. Go find something to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just to kind of get off that, like any final lessons you learned from that uh, that whole process? The biggest thing for me was saying yes. Because I like when you look at episode six in comparison to one, I would have never gotten to six. And I always feel like people a lot of times in this town are so worried about making the right moves. You're like, well, I want to make the right relationships and do the right things. And you're like, you don't know what's going to work. And my, my teacher always says this, uh, who I work for, uh, but my teacher, David, always says, uh, like, listen, the bad stuff you do, nobody's going to remember. <laughs> it's like, nobody's going to care. And if they do, it's because you're on Conan 20 years later and they're like, yeah, crazy. Remember when we did this? Like the good stuff sticks and like outside of like doing something illegal or immoral, it's like try things. 
try saying yes to something. If it doesn't work out, you don't have to come back for episode two. Don't don't do it for the money. Do yeah, it, do it because it do it because interesting. Do it because because I like those people, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, I don't know what we're doing, but yeah, we'll figure it Let's out. Let's do it. And it was beautiful, you know. I have a script that I think you would absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I have a, I have a list here of some things that you have worked on, uh, you are working on. Uh, so I just want to go maybe three each one, just kind of get your thoughts on that process and and what happened, and just real quick, yeah. kind of go there. So uh, spies are, are forever. Yeah. Uh, you played Agent Kurt Mega. Mega. His last name. Never will never not be weird. Um, yes. So, so what? <laughs> so uh, especially you know from Glee and buffering the process that theater and film process. Mm-hmm. Um, that how how did that come about real quick, and what did you take away from that? Well, and Spies would have never happened if it wasn't for Glee because I met all the people behind Spies through my buddy Darren, who was on Glee, who introduced me to them, who then we just kind of developed friendships and over the years uh, started doing little sketches. Again, saying yes, I did a sketch with the Tin Can Brothers who are the ones who created Spies and have just some of the funniest, best stuff on the internet. I cannot recommend them enough. Check them out, Tin Can Brothers on their YouTube um, they're always doing live shows. They have an, and they're wonderful, wonderful people who all originated from Star Kid, this production company that Darren uh, was part of. And they asked me to do a sketch, and it was like, yeah, sure. It's Tuesday morning in a parking lot. It was a dumb little sketch that we did. It was a dumb. It was funny. It was just a little thing. But like, without doing that, I don't think I would have ever been considered for them to approach me about doing something much more significant. Right. So just the power of saying yes, you know can 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 change your lives but yeah i got involved they asked me they said hey i want to do a spy musical <laughs> they were like we don't think it's ever been done and it sounds like it'd be a lot of fun and i literally i didn't have to be pitched at all i was like you guys are doing it yes of course i love i love their work and uh yeah and that was a case of just really joining forces we they brought together a team of like myself and then like people from other fan bases and all collectively came together to do a kickstarter raise like I think it was like fifty or sixty thousand dollars, which was really remarkable, and it was like so much more than any one of us could do. Right. Um, and they they took that money and and used it so wisely and creatively. We did a six week run in L.A. last year. We did a run in Chicago, trying to bring it back, trying to do it maybe again in New York sometime soon. Oh, that'd be but awesome. I, I keep saying that was the coolest thing I've done when I said the Glee tour, but that was awesome. That was also one of the most special things I've ever been a part of because all three of these things, it's like one represented. This, the biggest thing you could do, and then buffering was something we did from the ground up, and then spies was this thing from the ground up that was theater, and it was a it was always been a, a dream of mine to do an original show. Can you still watch that on YouTube? Oh Is yes, it still available? oh yeah, you can watch it on YouTube on the Tin Can Brothers channel. You can get the soundtrack on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can get the DVD, and it's uh, yeah, we're bringing it back at some point. Oh, at some point, it's fine. Is there uh, spies uh, are forever uh, too time to not kill? That's I mean, we, there's literally like there's a whole pitch for spies two, or like a revamping of spies itself and kind of revising and workshopping it. Gotcha. But it's funny, it's become like a thing we we say now. Where they'll be like, oh, you know that joke in spies two, and we'll be like, wait, there's a spies two, and they're like, well. In our heads, there is. <laughs> <laughs> now, not to take you out of it, I think something I'm just going to pitch this real quick. Yeah. Uh, that would be funny is taking, since it is kind of a comedy kind of parody thing, is taking that Doctor Who style of regeneration. Right. Because, you know, there's always different bonds. Right. <laughs> where 
through maybe in the middle of the show, like there's always different aging Kurt Mega. Is you trying, you know regenerate into a new actor, right. And a new uh, form of right, Kurt right. Mega. It's it's not it's still Kurt Mega, right? But not but not just you, a new unfortunately. Endless. Um, not that I want to take you out of it. You can still play it. <laughs> maybe the twin brother, the evil twin brother that comes out right. uh, at the end. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but anyway, so now taking comedy parody musical, uh, you're also working on a horror film that started out as a short, I believe is now a feature length. That you're in. Uh, yeah. A lot. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? You're in a lot I, I got, of it. I got the part. <laughs> you got the part. I got the part. I got to go. I got to call somebody. <laughs> One second. Um, called POV. Yeah. Uh, I believe that is a point of view. Working obviously. title. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, what was the process with that? Where, where yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah, so that was something that my buddy Eric had approached me. Eric played Alex in Buffering, and he had been watching a lot of uh, – he loves horror films, and it was kind of something I wasn't as familiar with. I I just grew up on, like, movie musicals and, and old movies, and I really kind of missed horror films growing up for whatever reason. And uh, he had had this idea, and I was like, eh, I don't know. But the thing I'd always been fascinated by was conspiracy theories – uh, corruption and government and all these things like those things actually terrify me and he has a real love and like deep like appreciation for like horror and you know whether it's like serial killer or whatever so it was kind of a cool like melding of like two ideas of his horror sensibilities and my more like thriller conspiracy sensibilities uh, but yeah we crowdfunded it and we were gonna just do a short film and I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, maybe we should, just, maybe we should have just done a short film, but we decided we had a, we had more of a story to tell, and that was fine, except that it made everything more difficult because now we had way, we have way more to do. But in the end, it's like I had a friend of mine advise me. He was like, whatever you do, if you have the chance to do a feature film, if there's any way to pull it off, do a feature film. He was like, because if you make a tw- 30 minute short film when you know what you always wanted to be a feature you're always going to wish you'd made it a feature he's like if, it, if it's a five minute short film make a short film but he's like but if you keep cutting back and denying he's like if there's any way to do it go for it that set us back probably a year a year and a half you know i wanted to have it done a long time ago but it's you know i'm living through that right now like i'm still working it out and we're in the process of filming and figuring out how to pull off a feature film with a crew of four to five people right at the most at any given time right, sometimes absolutely. just the two of us yeah um i'm excited when it when it's done it'll be a great story right, of how absolutely. we did it <laughs> uh but we're in the middle of it right now so Some good um, commentary to yeah it's about it's about two uh two guys who are like uh, kind of hollywood gossip journalists who uh, in investigating, uh, trying to dig and find some information about corruption and abuse in Hollywood, uh, uncover uh, something very sinister and dark, and become the uh, sort of caught in the crosshairs of right. it all. So awesome! Now uh, uh, to kind of transition to that, it started out with the original draft. I believe you mentioned on the episode that you did with Eric that you guys were podcasters. Yeah, um, and I know you mentioned that kind of what led you to to podcasting. To podcasting, <laughs> ironic, right? So you have a podcast called Story Matters. Yeah, that is about how story matters. Yeah, uh, you just you talk to several actors and creators and 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 people um, about what they do and how they do it, where they came from, and what's inspired them. Um, how has that helped you? as a creator and what is that done? You know, what, what are you, what is your kind of goal and your mission? What do you want to inspire people with? with well, on a very selfish note, putting out an episode every week of something has really been uh, therapeutic for me, especially working on a project like POV, which is this massive endeavor that nobody gets to see for two years uh, or being an actor where my, all my control over anything creative is not in my, it's not mine to, I can't, 
It's like, if I book it, I book it. And if not, like I can't do anything about it. So I wanted to do something. I tried doing YouTube. I tried doing some other things and I just like, didn't like it. I tried, I tried really hard to like vlog and I turns out I hate vlogging. I absolutely despise doing it myself. I cannot do it. I don't know why, but uh, I had a friend of mine recently tell me, he's like the things that you find yourself doing with your spare time. And like, those are the things you're meant to do. You know, if you keep saying, I'm going to do it and you never do, probably never going to do it. <laughs> and I found myself constantly writing down stories and constantly thinking about like conversations. And my favorite thing ever is talking about stories with artists. And so it dawned on me that that would be a really cool topic of conversation, not just to talk about movies and stuff, but to really talk about process and to talk about the creative process and, and maybe as a as a way to inspire people who are on their own creative journeys. So, um, yeah, I just started doing it from just, just because, and then it really started to blossom into, you know, something, uh, really special. And now I get to do it every week and it's, it's just nice to have something to be held creatively accountable to. And it comes out every Sunday, I believe. Every, right? yeah, I kind of, yeah. Sunday-ish. Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's been great because I've had just, right at the top some great guests just say yes and then uh now i'm trying to get back into like i said my first story was about kind of glee so i'm trying to get into storytelling that's not related to that necessarily right, no, absolutely. uh and, and and yeah use it because i i write a lot of eh, i don't know somewhere between theater and stand-up and like essay i don't know it's kind of a weird thing that i couldn't figure out what to do with it mm -hmm. so the podcast seemed like a cool platform to to share those stories very cool nice uh and you have a patreon i have a patreon uh, yeah which is great you can uh bonus content all that kind of stuff i also do like uh creative consulting for people working on some novels and working on like some storytelling and like various like projects that people are developing uh, that I've been helping them with, which is really great to use it. If you if you dig the show and support it, like I can actually give back. It's not just you know give me money. It's like well, it hey, makes no, it, let's... it makes it bigger and better. And, yeah, and more uh, accessible. Yeah, yeah, and it's more rewarding for me to like help somebody as a thank you for their contribution than right. just like thanks, you know, bye. You know, like it's <laughs> nice to give back. Right. You know? Um. Uh. One last question for for right now. Uh. Doing all the things you've done, buffering Glee, Story Matters, POV, uh, the guest star roles, being here, pursuing your dream, what will be the moment for you that is that you are, quote unquote, successful? Like what for you would be that moment of I made it? Right. Oh, that's hard. That's a tough one to answer. Um, sometimes I feel like it's it, I, I go I go between feeling so far off the mark that I'll never get there. And then some days going, I think I'm there. <laughs> and it really is a matter of perspective. I think at the end of the day, I have to say to some extent, and I don't, I feel like this is going to sound selfish, but I feel like I have made it in the extent that I get to spend every single day working on, on acting and working with actors and working with story and developing story and improv and the things that I love to do, I get to spend every day doing it to some capacity and that to me is making it. I mean, that really is in a sense, like I never thought I'd get to a place where people would hire me and want to work with me that consistently. So that, so that's like, that's per, that perspective. But then at the same time, there's a lot of things I want to do. I, I very much want to, um, 
I would love to to write something where I can really produce it episodically. I would love to not show run per se, but I really want to uh, write and produce, you know, uh, something uh, multi episode kind of series that I could be in and act in and and also work behind the. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of things that I want to do that I'm still pursuing, but I think I think a lot of times people make the mistake of giving themselves a benchmark of saying I will only be happy when. And it's and then it's the danger is if you never get there you're never happy, or if you do get there and it turns out it's not what you thought it was, which is usually the case, then like what does that do? And I've seen people spiral into depression because they go, all I want is this, and then they get that and then go, wait, I, I didn't enjoy any of this and now I have it and it doesn't make me feel any different, and oh my gosh. So to me, like making it is is about a daily consistent like finding joy in the creative process. Even when it sucks, finding what you love and, and, and returning to that and, you know, making sure you're doing something you're passionate about every day because that's all you have, you know. That's all you, you can achieve whatever benchmark you want, but uh, all you have is this moment. So if you're not doing something you're passionate about, then, uh, you know, it's a tough it's a tough place to be. But it, but if you do love what you do, there's no there's no better place to be than L.A. Absolutely. So. Um, any final tips uh, for those thinking about moving here or Pursuing those dreams, working in the Starbucks. Practical tip is have a job when you get here. <laughs> like, even if it's not in the industry, have a job. Like I did not do good at that one. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, it's tough. But, like, I see people that are like, I'm just coming out there with a dream, and I've been told that I have a face for modeling. And you go, all right, well, you and every other person, like, having a way to sustain yourself as a job. But I would also say having a way to sustain yourself uh, creatively saying yes to those relationships even if it's not a huge gig but if it's just a chance to do any if anytime any anytime anybody like wants to work with you and you feel like it's a situation where they respect you and value you say yes to it don't say yes to things where you feel like you're being taken advantage of but sustain yourself give yourself something to be working on i think if your only creative like outlet is the hope that you're going to book something huge it can really be crushing it can be soul crushing so you know yeah Get friends together, make a web series, make a podcast, like just do something and that will always yield more. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I, I would love for you to stay for a little bit longer just to talk a little more about LA. Uh, just kind of super have, have a little bit of a round table discussion for next time. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for this. Thank uh, you for letting fantastic. me be on. And uh, uh, we'll see you on the next part. Uh, back to you, Daniel and Michael in the studio. Bye. I used to think I can do this by myself. I was fine. I didn't need any help. Lost my and welcome way. back, everyone. Thank you so much for checking out Act One with Kurt Mega. I really enjoyed sitting in on this interview. Kurt was such a nice guy just to, to speak with and to nerd out about uh, certain comics and movies and stuff like that. Uh, but let's let's talk a bit about Act One and break down some of our takeaways. Uh, now, for me, one of the things that I love most about what he, he was able to bring forward was the idea of feeling isolated in L.A. Uh, Daniel, uh, when you moved to L.A., I'm sure you felt this way, but I know certainly when I did, I was down here for two weeks and then all of a sudden, it just hit me, and I felt like I was all on my own. No, no absolutely. It's very easy to not, especially when you're moving to a new city. I mean, you don't know anybody except maybe a few people that maybe moved here before you or if you were living with roommates, but you're still kind of isolated to yourself because they all have maybe their friends by now or they're getting set up. They're doing their thing. 
you're doing your thing. Well, there's so also this distance because, and it sounds funny, but with Los Angeles, depending on where you live and the traffic distance between those areas, you might not see people all that often. Very true. And, and it's just a, a thing of the traffic and the time it takes to get to one another and people have their own commutes, um, not only to their jobs, but with, with the industry and everything that they've got going on in their lives. But for me, it was just that moment of two weeks and it just came crashing down on me and I didn't know what to do. Fortunately, um, my roommate, Jazz Trice, who will be a guest uh, further down the line, uh, he, I was able to rely on him because he was a friend of mine from college. So I was able to r- rely on him and he was the one to kind of take me out and show me Los Angeles because it's very easy to feel isolated and then to isolate your own self. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To, to just kind of stay in your bedroom and binge on Netflix or Hulu and eat ice cream all day. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, though, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's also what I liked about Kurt was talking about how when he was feeling those moments that he kind of went back to what he loved of watching TV and film and let alone doing that, who would have thought that that would have led to him being in Glee? Right, absolutely. That It's funny how those kind of things happen when you don't expect it. And I think that was the funniest part about that moment was like this random pop-up commercial or ad that he found out that, oh, hey, I can do this on MySpace. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's right. I forgot book that it was a role. on MySpace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, one of the other things that Kurt also mentioned, uh, and I have the quote right here, you don't book the role, they book you. They meaning, of course, the casting office. It's so easy as an actor to be uh, caught up into the idea that it's all up to you in how you get the role that you're the deciding factor on whether or not you get the role. It all hangs on your audition, but it doesn't. There's so many factors that go into casting that if for whatever reason, you're just a few inches too short, you're not the type that they're looking for or scheduling or anything like that. There's a bunch of reasons why you're not the role. And so to not think of it as the ideal of, oh yeah, I'm going to book that rather that they're the ones that, indeed, that they're going to book you. What you booked is the audition. That's the performance. That's what you're going in for. And you're bringing in your ideas of the character and your interpretation. And you're there. It's like a job meeting, right? It's just a meeting. You're exchanging ideas, seeing if they flow with one another. And sometimes they do, but it doesn't work out necessarily. And that that's okay. But to kind of switch your mentality instead of, oh, I booked the role or, you know, maybe instead think about, did I have a good uh, rapport with the casting agent or with the casting director? Uh, Did they like me? Were we able to have a connection? Is this something that I feel like I could reach out to them on social media or if I have their email and just send them an update of of stuff you're doing? So I think that approach is going to lead to more opportunities down the road than thinking, oh, I booked this one role. Well, I think it's important to remember that they invited you to come to this audition. So that means they saw your headshot, they saw your resume, they said, hmm, this guy may fit something, or this girl may fit something. 
and so you're already on their minds. They, you're, you've already stepped up to the plate. They've got the ball ready to throw at you, and 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 they want you to be the one mm-hmm. that they want to cast because that would make their job so much easier. Absolutely. Instead of seeing eight hundred other people for this one role, they would love for the person to play this role to walk right in the room. And obviously, there is a certain amount of confidence that you have to walk in, but not think of it as, oh, I need to book this coming from a place of desperation or a, a, a place of want, mm-hmm. right? Whereas just coming at it from a point of, you know, I, I love this character. I love this story. These are my ideas that, I, that I've that i prepared. Let's see if, they, if, if we gel a little bit, you know, or, you know, and also being able to open up and let go of your ideas. Mm-hmm. The casting director or producer or writer might throw in a different suggestion at you and you have to be able to take take it and run with it. Because they want to see that you can take that redirection. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things I really took from uh, at, from talking with Kurt um, with the, you know in the the one on one interview um, was definitely this idea of um, letting the unexpected happening. And a lot of the stuff that happened to him was unexpected. It was it came at points that he was not trying to. Uh, he wasn't looking for a, a MySpace audition to audition for Glee. He wasn't, you know, looking to be in a web series. He wasn't, you know, looking to start a podcast or write a horror film. Uh, but all these things kind of happened unexpectedly. They, he, they, the journey took him to these points that he was supposed to go. And sometimes it's hard to see that because those points haven't happened yet. Yeah, those opportunities haven't presented themselves. Yeah, you, you don't know they're coming. And, and it gets hard sometimes when there is something probably just two weeks, two months, two, a year away that's going to change your life. And you have to just know that something's going to happen. And when it happens, be open to it. And also not being afraid to say yes to that opportunity. Absolutely. And obviously, what one thing that I also appreciated about Kurt was, you know, especially when you're starting out, just say yes to any acting, performing opportunity that you can get. But as you start to build your resume, as you start to build your your work and your reputation, that there's going to be certain things that you as an artist can have power over of, I will work for this person for free because they're my friend and I really appreciate their work. Or, you know, I read this script and if paying me is what will break the, the, the account or what will be the deciding factor of this gets made or not, you know, having that discussion and then having other, you know, if this is for a legit studio or something like that, also having that strong backbone of, well, this is this is what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. Knowing your own sense of worth, but also not being afraid um, to say yes to opportunities that on paper, oh, I'm not going to get paid this much. But why would you, the more important reason is the why, the people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and another thing that I took from it also that kind of goes with the same, in line with the unexpected, is uh, letting something take you where it needs to go. Um, mainly, this kind of focuses on how their his horror film with his uh, with Eric Carroll uh, started as a short film, and slowly, uh, as they did it more, they learned well this doesn't work, and this doesn't work anymore, and it's become a feature film now, and. And they've realized, like, you know, this part of the story doesn't work anymore. And so this idea of being able to let go of certain things that you thought fit or worked, whether it be in a script or maybe in your life, that you have to sometimes go, you know what? 
maybe I need to change something. Maybe this isn't fitting my story or the story I'm trying to tell the best possible way. And not hold on to something so preciously because you thought it was a great idea at one point. Let the art take you where it wants to go. It's, it's, it's a lot of times people will think I'm the writer writing this play or this screenplay, but it really, in some ways, is a collaborative effort between you and the story. As you write it, the story is going to help you guide itself to where it needs to go or its final, uh, its final marking point. Well, exactly. And also just going back to buffering his web series that he produced, uh, that he worked on produced with Mike Tobias. Eric Carroll was also in that of not being held down to this episode. All episodes have to fit this certain time length or this certain style. If you go on YouTube and you watch it, you'll find that each episode builds and builds and builds. And part of that is probably to do with their aspirations that they had, but also being able to be open and say, Hey, we're the storytellers. We don't have to stick to a specific format. We can grow. We can evolve. Absolutely. And uh, on the next episode, that's that's already out. You can listen to it right after this one's over. Uh, we have a roundtable discussion with myself, Michael, and Kurt. Uh, we talk about uh, casting workshops. We talk about the energy of L.A. Uh, we talk about... Uh, uh, mine and Kurt's hometown of Dallas and how it compares to LA. You'll see that as a theme a lot from people that are from out of state or out of, out of, out of LA. We do a lot of comparisons on their, where they're from and where we live now because there is a difference. There's nothing like LA yeah. and you know, there's like, there's not really anything like Dallas, but they're totally different. And it's so interesting to hear about those contrasting points. But after you listen to act two, go check out Kurt Mega's uh, podcast, Story Matters with Kurt Mega. Exactly. And also remember that tomorrow, Wednesday, we're going to be dropping our first Team Hustle host episode. That's going to be available tomorrow, Wednesday, June 7th. You're going to get to find out a lot more about mine and Daniel's uh, backstories in terms of where we're from. But also, it's going to be a really good chance for you to learn where we are now and the things that we're working on. In this episode, we talk about our top five favorite things about L.A., um, I think it was a great conversation. It's a lot of fun, uh, but it's it's just really exciting. Also, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. I know this is the first episode, but leave us a review anyway. What's your initial thoughts? A celebratory first review. Yeah, what, what's, what's your initial thoughts? You're going to be one of the first people to leave us a review. So leave us a five-star review. Hopefully that's what you think this is worth. And let us know how you feel about this, because to celebrate our first week live our six episode celebration we're doing a little bit of a contest that's right we're coming out of the gate strong with a contest that was perfect that was beautiful yeah so what's going to happen is we're going to let everyone leave reviews this whole week everybody can go on to itunes tapity tap 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 leave a review this only works on itunes you leave us a review. Hopefully five star. Five review. stars would be nice. I'm just saying. Wink, if wink, if, if there's ways that we can improve, please let us let know. Let us know. Uh, but leave us a review. And next week, we will randomly, out of a hat, pick out a name of someone that left us a review. And you will win a lovely Hollywood Hustle prize pack. Exactly. Now, Daniel, what is included in said Hollywood Hustle prize pack? Well, there may possibly be a iTunes gift card. Ooh. Ooh. 
There's also a nice 8x10 picture from a photo shoot that Michael and I did with a professional photo, uh, photographer, Eric Carroll, Eric Carroll uh, from Eric Carroll Photography. Check him out. He's awesome. Uh, we'll do a signed 8x10 copy of one of our photos. And if you are an actor or someone in the industry, a writer, uh, we will gladly put your headshot, your reel, your resume uh, uh, on our website uh, and let it stay there for a month. We'll showcase your Hollywood hustle. Yeah. We'll have, you know, if you have a link to a reel or anything like that, your own personal website, we'll include that and a nice little blurb about your journey and where people can contact you. Or if you don't have a hustle in that sense, but you have a business, we will also uh, uh, show your business. We'll put your logo on our website and we'll pitch your business on our uh, uh, social media accounts. Exactly. And that's going to be for the first month that you'll be able to get uh, seen on this. And speaking of other social accounts, um, please contact us. Me and Daniel, we're on social media. Um, and you can also contact the podcast directly. Uh, our Instagram is Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Our Twitter is LA Hustle Cast. We're also on Facebook. And if you have any questions, thoughts, or comments, or you know, if you have a, a question that you'd like for us to ask Kurt Mega, please uh, email us, hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, or if you listen to us on Stitcher Radio or SoundCloud, add us to your favorites. Absolutely. And real quick, we have just a few more uh, uh, Kickstarter backers we'd like to thank uh, in person. Exactly. Uh, yeah. This is another group of people that means so much to me and means so much to this podcast. We wouldn't be here without them. So f without further ado, my UC Davis family and crew, Ian Walters, Maverick Bone, Brendan Ward, Heidi Kendrick, Gabriel Rosa, Christina Rabago, Gordon Meacham, John and Wendy Strange, Cues for Life, and my actual family members, uh, my dad, uh, Jerry, my mom, Roz, and my brother, John, and my adopted grandmothers, Pat Miller and Pat Pingle. And I'd like to thank some great friends of mine and people that are supporting us, Aisham Hipshire uh, uh, and Monica Hipshire, uh, Pam Wohead and Jeff Wohead, Monica Challingsworth, Kathy Lewis, Douglas Steinberg, Dan Colley, uh, Taryn and Zach Carter, and J.D. Dashty of 2 Dashty Properties in Dallas, Texas. Also my family, Linda and Walter Easton, uh, Babs and Philip Binge, and my lovely grandmother, Billy Matthews. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We wouldn't be here without you guys. We love you, and we're so excited to to officially start this journey. It's, it's going to be fantastic. And, and Michael, that... That was our first episode. Wait, that was the end of our first episode? We did it, man. We did it? We did it. So I think we're good. I think we're done, right? Yeah. We, let's, let's sign off and we, we're good. We, we can hang out. <laughs> Just kidding. You can go listen to the next episode right now because we're signing off. So ladies and gentlemen, always remember to keep, keep up, up the, the hustle. This episode of the Hollywood Hustle podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Kel Torados is our sound engineer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information about the show, please visit our website at hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.